The sexual term means two people who are so different, male and female. God teaches to come together with the sexual union to learn how to care for, love, and serve one another. And literally, there's a union of two lives that comes together. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Today's program deals with a difficult and some say taboo topic, human sexuality. Throughout this message, David holds true to what scripture says God's design is regarding sex, but we still ask for discretion for younger ears. Today's message can also be found on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Today is dealing with one of the most uh, important yet difficult subjects in all of my speaking to you, and that is the biblical view of human sexuality. You know, what does God say about sex? It was his idea, he created it, he gave it to us as a great gift. So I wanna spend today, if you were in my office, uh, spending 35 minutes with me on this subject, here is what I'd say to you. Uh, the, The whole subject of sex must begin with a search for truth. A search for truth. Uh, Interestingly, uh, recently, uh, via the internet, there was a picture of a dress that came up. And we we have uh, a picture of it. There was a whole, in fact, YouTube video regarding it. And the question was asked by the person who posted it, what color is this dress? And it caused hundreds of thousands of responses. Uh, Some people said, brown and white. Other people said blue and black, and the debate raged onward. It caused such personalities like uh, Kim Kardashian and um, Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift to give their views on what color that dress is. They even called in a neuroscientist uh, who said that the dress is really black and blue. It depends on how your eyes look at it. Others came in and said, no, it's obvious that it's brown and white. And, And again, it almost crashed the internet with the numbers of people who gave their views on what color that dress is. So, so here's the point. When you're looking at the truth of the color of that dress, the only person who can really give us the definitive answer is the person who designed the dress. And the person who designed the dress finally came on and said, it's black and blue. Believe it or not, as you look at it, it becomes black and blue. And that's what the designer said. So case closed because the final word belongs to the designer himself. So as we look at the issue of sex, there's so many different American views that are out there. Uh, people say, well, as long as I'm in a monogamous relationship and I really care for the other person, that's okay. If I'm cohabitating with the person and we're there and caring for one another, that's okay. Uh, If it gives me enjoyment and the other person enjoyment, that's okay. So so there are many different views that people have regarding sex. And and my guess is if I ask the question, ask for your responses, we could probably crash the internet too with all of the different views of people on this very difficult subject. But knowing what a good gift it is, but how it can be used for bad, what I want to do now is to take us to the designer's view of sex. Because it really doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It's of no importance except in the mind of the Almighty who created it. He designed it. He gave it to us. So out of reverence for the reading of his word, which is his way of telling us his will, his design, if you're able, would you now please stand? 
And let us look at God's word regarding this very interesting, difficult, intriguing subject called human sexuality. It all begins in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, in creation, before the fall ever occurred, Genesis 1 and 2, here's what God said. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So notice the gender specificity of God. In his original intent, he created men to be men and women to be married uh, to be women. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So one of the major intentions of sex was procreation to reproduce the human race, and not just one or two children, but really many children. God wanted couples to have as many as possible for the multiplication of the human race race throughout the entire world. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, again, before the fall occurs, here's God's intent for human sexuality in another way. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Again, as I've taught you several times, many times, the order of marriage is, first of all, the man and the woman leaving. That is a public ceremony where both parents give away their children to be married to one another. And then secondly, they hold fast to each other. That is the vows made to one another, vows that are permanent. They are not dependent upon feelings or circumstances. They're dependent upon the vow itself being expressed between a man and a woman. You know, I, David, take you, Marilyn, to be my wife, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. That's the public vow I made to Marilyn 30-plus years ago, and I have been able to maintain that vow as she has because we have held fast to one another. And they shall become one flesh. That's the sexual term. The sexual term means two people who are so different, male and female. God teaches to come together with the sexual union to learn how to care for, love, and serve one another. And literally, there's a union of two lives that comes together. Paul in Ephesians 5 calls it a mega mystery, a profound mystery. It's in relation to Christ and his church, how Jesus, when we accept him as Lord and Savior, becomes one with our human hearts. Again, it's a mega mystery how Jesus becomes one with us and we become one with him. The same thing happens in marriage. And that which allows it to happen is the sexual union, two people becoming one together. So the purpose of sex from God's design was to continue the human race, procreation, and secondly, to be enjoyed in a relationship of marriage so that every time you have a union with that person who is your spouse, you are recommitting your vows to one another. You're you're recommitting your dedication to serve the other person and the two becoming one flesh. Then, of course, in Genesis 3, there's the fall. There's the rebellion against God. And sin is invited into God's once perfect creation. And everything, folks, indeed everything, is permeated with the disease called sin. The pernicious evil of sin infects everything, including human sexuality. So from Genesis chapter 4... Throughout the rest of the Bible, you have all different expressions of sexual deviance, things like polygamy, things like 
prostitution, uh, things like forcing sex upon another person, um, all these different expressions of sexual evil, fornication, sex outside marriage, adultery, all those things were expressions in the Bible of sexuality gone awry. So in, in a real way, all of us are sexual sinners. All of us have a sexual deviance that's a part of us. Then what did Jesus think about human sexuality? Matthew 19, 4 and 5 Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Uh, And it's a debate about divorce, but nevertheless, Jesus' appeal to the question about can divorce happen was to Genesis 2.24. To original intent, God intended sex only to be within a marriage. So you interpret the Old Testament with the New Testament, and then you interpret the New Testament gospels with the epistles. So Jesus gave his view of human sexuality only within marriage between a man and a woman. So what does the epistles say about human sexuality? Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. We ask the question all the time, what is God's will for me in my job or with this particular mate or whatever? We do know this for sure. God's will is holiness. That's what sanctification means, difference. And it is expressed in the whole idea of sexual immorality, sex only within marriage. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Let me go ahead and let everyone sit down now. You may be seated. The word of the Lord. And let me just take a quick moment and expose to you something I began last week as we talked about profanity. That that one of the reasons we need to not speak profane words, and, and the word profanity means something that is sacred, that's being debased into something that's vulgar. We, we don't use profanity because our bodies were created by God, and we should not use words that talk about the impure, unclean parts of our body being a regular part of our speech. It only shows what's in our hearts. Well, similarly, if we know we've been bought with the price of Jesus' death on the cross, and his life lives within us, he is our Lord and our Savior. If we know that is true, that means we need to develop a theology of the body. We need the body to be very exalted in our lives. So God created this human body, Genesis 1 and 2. It's a good body. Sex is a good gift. So developing a theology of the body says we need to use the body to glorify God, as Paul says here, to use it as God intended it to be used. And any time we unite ourselves with someone other than our husband or our wife, we're misusing the body for what God intended it to be used. Now, C.S. Lewis is one of Christianity's most famous authors of all times. He has influenced many, many people toward Christ. His book, Mere Christianity, chapter 8, was what brought my wife to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a powerful book. He has in that book a section on human sexuality from a Christian perspective. If you want to read something that's magnificent, I encourage all of you to do it. But what's interesting is Lewis' life itself. Uh, When Lewis was a teen, he had been abandoned by his father. His mother died at an early age. And in his human sexuality, he was, let's just say, profligate. He, He did whatever he wanted to do and didn't let any kind of boundaries guide his sexuality. Well, as he began to age, he went through World War I. 
one. Then he came into a profound relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. He was converted. His life was transformed. And it's interesting, as he talks about his view toward sex, he said, before I was very active and all of my friends noticed it, but after I became a Christian and I placed myself under the authority of the Scripture, and folks, that's what we've got to have in our society today. If Christians are going to impact this culture, we've got to have people totally and unabashedly committed to this book being God's word and placing ourselves under its authority, looking to our designer to give us truth about every situation. So C.S. Lewis came to faith in Jesus and he realized if he believed in Jesus, he had to believe in the word. So as a scholar, as a wordsmith, as a person who understood language, he studied the scripture in its original text and he concluded at the end that if you're going to follow Jesus, you don't have any option except to have God's view toward biblical sexuality and that means in Lewis language, he said, any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong. Period. And that is the biblical teaching. Interestingly, Lewis's friends noted that the most profound difference in his life when he became a Christian was his change of views on human sexuality. Would that happen with you folks? When you came to faith in Jesus, did you put yourself under the authority of the scripture and say, I wanna know what the designer has to say about this question. My opinion doesn't really matter. What I care about is God's opinion. Now, the American culture has undergone a shift in its view toward human sexuality. If you look at our history, you will see that the nation generally was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. The emphasis in our culture originally regarding sexuality between a man and a woman uh, being the only way that God intended it was profound and a lot of people bought it. It was probably the view of the culture. And through the 1800s, it lasted that way, even into the 1900s. And with dating, you had this particular movement. Uh, first of all, in the 17 and 1800s in American life, there were basically arranged marriages. And that's not altogether bad in some communities because there was an attempt to put a man and a woman together who had some kind of similar background, similar faith experiences, and similar dreams and visions. And that's not altogether bad, but it left the decision up to the families, not the individuals. Then it slowly moved toward a courtship idea where a man could come courting another uh, father's daughter and they would meet on the porch with other people looking on and, and they would begin the whole dance of getting to know one another and they'd then decide through the courtship time period if they were meant for one another and then would get married. It was their decision then at that point. And then we moved from the whole idea of it was arranged to courtship to dating. In the early 1900s is when dating became a part of the American culture. Interestingly, some people are trying to go back to courtship today with singles. I don't think it's going to work. They moved into the dating culture in the 1900s. I think it's here to stay. And that's when people would basically meet people and they would date. They would go out together alone without any other parties looking on. And they would then decide over some period of time whether they were right for one another. Most all of us who are married today in this room on all the campuses, we are the result of some kind of dating. We met each other, spent some time together, and decided to make those covenant commitments to one another. But in the 1960s, as I've shared with you in practically all of these issues we've looked at, whether it's alcohol or marriage or parenting or language, something happened in the 60s that released the individual desires of the person to be more important than the cultural norms. We moved from what I call a 
we society where there was a moral consensus and those moral consensus guided our society to a me culture where what I want, whenever I want it, according to my desires, my emotions is what I should have. And when the dating culture moved more from even we to me, then the most important thing that happened was the movement from courtship uh, to arranged marriages to courtship to dating now to hookups, to hookups that there's casual sex that everywhere because of birth control, people can do it, and they do it everywhere, they cohabitate, and sex has become what's most important for me and my desires to get met. So in another way of saying the same thing, and my daddy used to say this all the time, we've moved from learning how to love in the we culture to being in love in the me culture. So in the we culture, I try to love to serve my beloved, this very different person of a different gender, my job is to serve that person, love that person, care for that person as long as we both shall live. Not as long as we both shall love, as long as we both shall live. That was the we culture. In the me culture, it's all about me, so I'm with somebody, and as long as you meet my desires, I'm okay with this. But at the moment, that stops. Even if we've already committed in marriage, I'm out of here. I'm going to find somebody else because in the hookup culture, it's all about simply somebody meeting my physical needs whenever I want those needs met. So as a result of that, you have commercials that are everywhere, movies that are everywhere, television programs that are everywhere, and everything in our whole culture suggests continually look for that other person who can meet your needs, and then you can jump in the sack with whomever you want, whenever you want, with no consequences. Don't worry about it. That's from moving from the love to the being in love culture, and when I'm in love, it's all about my feelings. And I asked the staff this week, wouldn't it be something if we had a commercial on television that showed a man in the bathroom throwing up all night long and his wife is holding his head saying, honey, I'm here for you, what do I need to do to help you? Because folks, that's real life marriage. That's real life sexuality. That really is what it's all about. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio continuing our conversation about Davidisms. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart? Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? 
The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure to be with you, Jen. It's always an honor. Well, thank you. Um, This week, we have been taking a deeper dive into the phrases and statements that we call Davidisms. And one of them I want to talk about today is pray your day. Can you tell us about this one? Yeah, something that someone taught me long ago. I can't even remember who. For those of us who've lived a number of years, we accumulate Mm -hmm. phrases in our minds and we can't remember from where they come. But I want to make sure that I say this came from somebody who taught it to me years ago. But I've practiced it for many years. Mm -hmm. It is, again, pray your day. So I ask this question to all of our listeners, how do you start your day? Well, here's a suggestion. Pray. At the beginning of each day, pray your day. Put all of your needs and requests before God, especially your appointments, your specific meetings that you have, what you're going to face each day. As best as you know what will be ahead of you in that day, pray your day. Pray over every encounter you may have with others. Pray you will have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus' love. Give a moment of hope to someone else. Share a word of encouragement. Find a way to serve another person. And as you do that throughout your day, you are truly the embodiment of Jesus Mm -hmm. wherever you may be. Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's not our day to be served. It's God's day so that we can serve other people. When we seek the Lord in prayer each day, he will show us where we should go and who and how we could love other people. We are merely servants of the Most High God here to give hope to someone who needs a loving touch or a word each day to help them live their lives better here on this side of eternity. Here it is again, Jen. Pray your day. Just look ahead at your day and pray your day as best you know how. And then throughout the day, look for a way to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this one. And I can almost hear you from from years ago exhorting us to wake up and not say, Good Lord, it's morning, but but good morning, Lord. That's another Davidism. He <laughs> oh, brought. I didn't mean to, to drop a spoiler. <laughs> well, in there. it's an, exactly what I believe with all of my heart. You can get up and face your day with despair. Go, oh, good Lord, it's morning. Or you can face your day with hope mm. and say, good morning, Lord, and then pray yeah. your day. Look for ways that you can give hope to another person. And I think that when you pray your day rightly, you get out of bed. You're feet touch the floor, and you're excited about facing whatever may be facing you during that day. Well, that's so good. And I love this challenge, too, because I think before I touch my phone, and I'm sure you don't have this struggle in the morning, but but in my generation, it is a temptation to start my day with my phone in my hand. And so I am very much um, encouraged 
now through this word. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Jen. And remember, listeners, and Jen, I would say this to you as well, studies have been done that show if your phone is next to your bed, it doesn't allow you to sleep as well as you need to. So put it downstairs. You don't need it while you're sleeping. And then that does also give you some time in between waking up and getting on that phone to pray your day. And listeners, if you would like to receive a daily written moment of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org and you can subscribe to a daily moment of hope so that from my heart to yours, you can start each morning at 7 a.m. with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from a series called Heartbeats from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those who've lost loved ones in this COVID season.